There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. Do you believe in angels? I do. And the Bible certainly supports the existence of angels because they're mentioned over 250 times in Scripture. However, I believe that there are some misconceptions about angelic activity that we need to clear up, and there are some areas that people are unfamiliar with that we need to magnify. So we've got a lot of territory to cover. Angels occupy seven primary roles. Let me say that again. Angels occupy seven primary roles in their interactions between heaven and earth. They are warriors, worshipers, watchers, ministers, messengers, protectors, and administrators of God's affairs on earth. Let me go through that list again. They are worshipers, warriors, watchers, ministers, messengers, protectors, and administrators of God's affairs on earth. They are vitally important to the plans and the purposes of God because God has interwoven into his plans activities of angelic beings in implementing his will. So it's something God wants. It's something God initiated, something God originated. So let's dig into it. It's going to be a really interesting podcast, I believe. First of all, angels are spirit beings. They are not corporal beings. They are spirit beings. However, they can assume the appearance of having a physical form. And that's testified in Scripture. Psalm 104 verse 4 says that God makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. And it's quite possible that when he mentioned ministers being a flame of fire, it was a reference back to the angels. Fiery entities, fiery spirit beings. He makes his angels spirits, his ministers a flame of fire. Then Hebrews chapter 13 verse 2 says, Do not be forgetful to entertain strangers, for by doing so some have unwittingly entertained angels. Think of that. Maybe you've got a story where that happened to you. If you do, you are welcome to put it in the the comments below the video podcast. All right, let's go to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. In that passage, well, in the verse prior, Paul asked the question, if Paul was the writer of Hebrews, he said, to which of the angels said he at any time, thou art my son, this day have I begotten you? And then he answered, are they not all ministering spirits? sent forth the minister for those who shall be the heirs of salvation. That's a really rich verse because that's part of our inheritance. To be an heir of salvation means you have inherited 
divine involvement in your life to bring salvation in every arena of life. And the word salvation simply means deliverance. And there's a lot in this world you need deliverance from. Deliverance from spiritual ignorance, deliverance from the world and its enticements, deliverance from the lower nature, deliverance from the curse that separates human beings from God when they come into this world, deliverance from satanic activity and satanic delusion and satanic uh, temptations and allurements into the web of evil that evil spirits would like to involve you in. And so angels are very actively involved in ministering to the heirs of salvation. Why? To administer salvation, to bring forth deliverance in all of these areas and many others. So it may be happening when you're totally unaware of it. If you can fail to entertain an angel that comes in a human form, you can certainly fail to be aware of their presence when they're in a spiritual form. They're probably all around me right now and all around you because we're promoting this concept on this particular episode. Now, we know that angels fill a primary role of being messengers. I don't know that there are specific ranks of angels that are confined to that role and specific angels that are confined to the role of being warriors. They may be used in both roles, for all we know. We don't have that information. But we do know that angels appeared to Abraham. He saw three men And I believe one was the Lord assuming a human appearance, and the other two were angels assuming human-like features and appearance. And they communicated to Abraham certain things he needed to know about the plan of God in his life. And then two angels went to Sodom and rescued Lot and, of course, foretold the judgment that was going to fall on that city. Lot never requested angelic intervention. Abraham never asked to see an angel. Angels appeared to Mary and Joseph, announcing the coming of the little baby Jesus, and even told what to name him. And the angels up in the heavens said, uh, we bring good news of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Think of that. And the shepherds that heard them that day were not doing any kind of uh, incantation or any kind of mystical thing in order to attract angelic manifestations. People who tell you you have to do that are very deceived in their mindset because God chooses when angels manifest, when angels reveal themselves We don't do anything to earn such an encounter. I love Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. This is the role of being protectors. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Now that almost sounds like You'll have a pain-free, problem-free, stress-free life. I mean, carried by angels where you won't even get a stone bruise. I don't think that's really what it means. Because the next verse says, You shall tread 
upon lions and adders, which is a type of serpent, the young lion and the dragon you shall trample underfoot. I think that would affect your feet more than a little pebble. And so it wasn't saying you'll have a problem-free, stress-free life, but that they're carrying you into the purposes of God. And those purposes will involve the defeat of evil in this world. They're bearing you up. They're around you. There are more for us than there are against us. That's what Elisha revealed when his servant was very afraid because there was an army coming up through the valley with orders to take them into custody. And Elisha said, oh, God, open his eyes. And quite stunned, he said, there's more force than there are against us. Yes, there were angelic beings there to protect them. And when Elisha commanded the curse of blindness to come on the army, I believe the angels probably were involved in administering that. Who knows? We're not really told. Are angels created beings? Are they created beings or did they have an eternal existence? Hmm. Let's find out. In Psalm 33, verse 6, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. By that verse, it sounds to me like they were created. There was a definite point where God breathed them into existence. Can you imagine? (laughs) Can you imagine the creator just breathing and out from that breath comes a multitude, millions upon millions of angelic beings? It could have happened that way. However, words are the product of breath flowing through your vocal cords. And so, Maybe when it said all the host of heaven was created by the breath of God's mouth, that it happened in response to the spoken word as he breathed out the command that they would come into existence. But I just get such a mental picture when I think of how that verse was probably fulfilled. Were they in existence before the physical cosmos? Now, this is a question that's challenging to answer because we don't have that much to go on in Scripture. There is one passage that seems to imply that they existed before the natural universe. Let me take you to Job chapter 38, verses 4 and 7. God is actually talking to Job and discussing with him and revealing to him what the purpose of all this pain he's passed through really was. And he said to Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. In other words, he was showing Job his limited understanding, even about how the creation came into being. So how could he possibly understand all the things that happen in life? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. And then God said in verse 7, When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Bene Elohim is translated sons of God. Was that a reference to 
you and I, if we're sons of God in a pre-incarnate state? No, I don't believe that because in Job chapter 2 verse 1, it talks about the sons of God coming together in a heavenly sphere and gathering together unto the Lord in his throne room. And I believe that was a reference to angels at that time referred to as sons of God. And I think possibly the reference to morning stars was referring to them too because they're beings of light, just like the stars in the physical heavens shine light in the night. God said, where were you, Job, when I laid the foundations of the earth, when the morning stars sang together? Well, stars don't sing. Planets don't sing. The earth doesn't sing as it rotates around the sun. And so God may have been speaking figuratively and poetically uh, and likening angels to morning stars. We know that the name Lucifer means morning star. And so at that time, maybe they were all considered morning stars shining in the heavenly realm. It's something to speculate about, nothing we can really nail down. But the sons of God shouted for joy. That creates a picture in my mind that is spectacular, that with each command of creation, when God brought forth the firmament and the earth and the vegetation and the animals, the angels were shouting the praises of God. How spectacular for them to witness what he did. I can't imagine, I, I, I can't get there with my mind. It's just too far beyond me. It's like David said, such things are too wonderful for me. They're high. I cannot attain unto them. Now, let's revisit this idea that sometimes angels can actually look like human beings. I had one experience about 40 years ago where I believe an angel came to me in one of my services. And I won't go through the whole story, but the angel told me that, that God was going to be very present in a meeting I was going to have about two weeks after that. And then my eyes were opened and I realized it was not an ordinary human being. It was very peculiar. And two weeks later, I had one of the greatest revivals I've ever had in my life. It was amazing. Uh, Elizabeth, my wife, had an experience with an angel that assumed a physical form. I believe it was an angel with all my heart because she had to go to one of her doctor's appointments by herself. I was out of town ministering, and she stepped in an elevator after having gone through all these tests and faced all these things related to having cancer and was very upset about it, disturbed about it. Because I was out of town, and neither of our children were with her. She was thinking in her mind, I'm all alone facing this. I'm all alone facing this. And then the elevator doors closed, and she heard rustling behind her when she didn't think anybody was in the elevator but her. And she turned around and saw a woman dressed in the kind of clothing that an old-time Pentecostal would have worn, a long skirt, red skirt, white blouse, little shoestring tie, long sleeves, lace around it, a bun on her head. And this woman, elderly woman, said, you look like you need a hug. Well, my wife 
didn't want to interact with a stranger at that point. She was hoping this woman would just leave her alone. And the woman moved across the elevator, and much to the uh, regret of my wife, she kind of moved away from her. And then she just put her arms around her and said, you are not alone in this and everything's going to be all right. And my wife said she felt this power, this presence of God flow over her when that woman slash angel (laughs) spoke those words. Well, why should we think it was an angel? Because she stepped out of the elevator and the doors closed and she thought to herself, oh, I should have thanked that woman. And she turned around and hit the elevator button again and tried to go up to the first floor and the second floor. And nobody at any of the desks, the receiving desks at those floors, claimed to have ever seen a woman dressed like that. And so where could she have gone? Well, maybe she could have somehow walked downstairs and gone out in the parking lot. So my wife ran out there and asked the parking lot attendant. None of them saw a woman matching that description. And remember, the words that woman spoke were exactly the same as the words that were going through my wife's mind. I'm all alone in this. And the angel said, you're not alone in this and everything's going to be all right. So store that away in your head. And let me show you how that same angel, I believe, made a second appearance. Months into this journey through cancer, Elizabeth had gone through a lot, and we'd had a couple of tremendous visitations from God. But we were in a meeting down in Florida, and someone came up to her and said the most terrible thing. You never say this to somebody fighting cancer. They said something like, my aunt had the same kind of condition, and she got delivered for a while, but it came back with a vengeance, and she died. Well, that just threw Elizabeth into a battle of the mind, thinking about that. And she was sitting in the back of this particular meeting that we were conducting in the back of the congregational area. And right toward the end of church, this little lady dressed differently, so she didn't recognize her at first, walked up to her and handed her a crumpled piece of paper. Or it was like a napkin or a crumpled piece of paper. And She said, when you get back to the hotel room tonight, look at this. And so my wife just kind of thoughtlessly stuck it in her pocket and wasn't really impressed, thought maybe it was just a weird person or why would somebody be handing her what looked like just trash? So she dismissed it. Well, when she got back to the room, she told me about it. I said, well, let's look at it, honey. And kind of half-heartedly, not thinking there was anything to it, she opened it up. And it was a verse out of the first chapter of Nahum that says, This affliction shall not rise a second time. The very thing that had been going through her mind. And then it clicked in her. That woman looked just like the one in the elevator. I believe she had two angelic visitations, and they assumed what appeared to be a human form. Like I said, if you've ever had something like that happen, Please relate your story in the comments below this podcast. All right, let's go to the original languages. What words are translated angel in the Hebrew and the Greek? And it's interesting to see some little things about this. The Hebrew word is malak. That's M-A-L-A-K. 
It's also translated messenger and ambassador because angels are ambassadors of heaven and they usually bear a message from God to his people in this world. In the Greek, the word that is translated in angels is agalos or angelos, and it is also translated messenger. In fact, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, the word malach, the Hebrew word malach, is translated messenger with respect to John the Baptist and messenger with respect to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so the same word applied to the Messiah and the forerunner of the Messiah is also applied to these spiritual beings that are part of this spiritual army that God uses to perform his purposes in this world. Malachi 3.1, God said, Behold, I send my messenger, my malach, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming. And the messenger of the covenant was the Lord Jesus. So that same word applies to him. Interesting. And the word agalos is also used in reference to pastors. In the first couple of chapters of the book of Revelation, it refers to the angels of various churches. Uh, and, and the reference to the angel of the church is a reference to the messenger of the church, the pastor of the church, the one bringing God's message to that flock of believers. It's interesting to see also that the term angel is used in reference to the pre-incarnate Christ. But in your Bibles, you'll notice this with a capital A. Let me take you to Exodus chapter 3. This is where Moses received his calling. After 40 years of success in Pharaoh's court, he was exiled into what he probably thought was 40 years of failure. And then everything changed when he had an angelic visitation. And let me emphasize again, he was doing nothing to attract an angelic visitation. It came and broke through into his life at an unexpected moment. It's just walking through the wilderness. And the Bible said, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see such a great sight, why this bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw it, that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And God said, Do not draw near. Put the shoes from off your feet, for the ground where you stand is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. But it said, The angel of the Lord appeared to him out of the flaming fire in the midst of the bush. And over and over in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord comes to various people but gives messages that could have only come from God. If this was an ordinary angel to say, I'm the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, that would have been a blasphemous statement. The angel of the Lord went before them as a pillar of fire by night and a cloudy pillar by day. So, 
it's interesting to see that the one who brought forth a host of angels is referred to as the chief angel or the angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Godhead, if you will. Now, angels are interested in the affairs of human beings, very interested, especially in the affairs of the church. Let me take you to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. It says, To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. This is talking about the prophets of the Old Testament and how it was revealed to them that what they saw, the visions, the revelations, what they received from God was not for them, but they were ministering things which are now reported to you by those who preach the gospel to you with the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven. And I love the next part. It says, things which angels desire to look into. So when the Holy Spirit moves in our midst and rhema word is coming from the pulpit or testimonies are being given or the sick are being healed or miracles are happening. Angels are crowding around. They love to see God moving in this world. But I'm going to read another passage of scripture in a little bit that makes it sound like they're trying to piece the puzzle of redemption together too. They're gathering information to understand what God is doing in this world. Also, just to show how they get great delight over the advance of God's kingdom in this world, Luke chapter 15, verse 10 says, and this is Jesus speaking, Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Think of that. Every time somebody comes to an altar, there's probably some shouts going on in the spiritual realm angels delighted to see the blood of Jesus applied to another soul that is washed clean and brought into the family of God. Praise God. Let me ask a question. Does each person have a guardian angel? Does each person have a guardian angel? Is that just a traditional belief or is it biblically based? I believe it's biblically based. Matthew 18, 10 Jesus said, take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. Isn't that amazing? They're fully conscious, two different directions. They're gravitating toward whoever those angels have been given the responsibility to protect their angels do always behold the face of my Father in heaven, but they're always gazing upward. They're gazing downward and upward and, and dividing their attention between those two things because apparently they're, uh, they're sent to alert us of danger, maybe at times if God so wills it, or possibly to communicate to God certain things that are happening. Though God is omniscient and God knows all, maybe he chooses to have it happen that way. I know when Jacob had his experience of angels walking up and down the ladder, he saw a ladder stretching from earth to heaven. My, 
my son was mystified by that when we told him that story. And my wife explained that they were most likely taking needs and and prayers and, and different things from the earth up to heaven and bringing answers from God in heaven back down to earth. Who knows if that's the case or not? We aren't always told all of these details, but he did see angels ascending and descending upon the ladder when he had this tremendous dream. And later, Jesus said to one of his disciples, you're going to see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man, referring to himself. So really, that was his way of connecting the links between those two scriptures and saying that he was Jacob's ladder. He was the way to get from this realm to the next realm. And wherever you find Jesus, you find angelic activity. And wherever you find a portal into the heavenly world, like a church where people gather together full of faith, people that are full of the Spirit, you're going to find angelic activity, I guarantee you. Are there divisions in the angelic kingdom? There's possibly seven orders of angels, seven different divisions of angels. This is another area that's somewhat foggy in Scripture. It's not really defined in such a way that we can be absolutely confident that we're interpreting it correctly. The, it seems the highest angelic beings are seraphim, and seraphim are spoken of in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. The word seraphim in the Hebrew means burning ones. And they're right there in the throne of God, the throne room of God, rather. And I would imagine the reason they're referred to as burning ones is because you get that close to God, you're going to burn with the power of his presence because the Bible says there's wheels of fire on either side of God's throne and his eyes are like flames of fire. He's consuming fire from the loins upward, consuming fire from the loins downward, and a river of fire proceeds from his throne. No wonder the seraphim are burning ones. Possibly they're the highest order of angels. Then cherubim are mentioned over 60 times in the Bible. Think of that. In Genesis, in the very beginning, Cherubim are placed at the east of Eden to keep the way of the tree of life. Then you find them in Ezekiel chapter 1 and chapter 10. And you also find them in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, referred to as living creatures there. And there's a lot that can be said about cherubim. Then the next order seems to be archangels. However, only one angel is referred to as an archangel in the Bible. That's Michael. People assume that Gabriel is an archangel and that Lucifer was an archangel, but the Bible never does say either of those things. Michael is the only one referred to that way. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 says, when the Lord Jesus comes back, he'll come back with the voice of an archangel. Surely that will be Michael the archangel shouting something very significant as the Lord descends in glory to take over this world. Now, different religions believe in different numbers of archangels. Islam teaches four archangels. The apocryphal books teach uh, seven archangels. Uh, and various New Age sources teach seven archangels. But again, the Bible only identifies one. And then the scripture refers to thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. That could be speaking 
of different levels of authority in the angelic kingdom. We don't know that for sure. And people that claim to be able to say this definitively without any doubt haven't really searched out the scriptures, I believe. They, they are jumping to assumptions and basing what they believe on assumptions. But Colossians 1.16 says, By him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers. All things were created through him and for him. So you've got seraphim, cherubim, archangels, thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. Some of those could be referring to the same levels, but it seems that there is a hierarchy in the angelic world, and there are uh, the same levels spoken of in the demonic world. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, talks about how we fight not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. I have one more scripture I want to bring out to you, and then I'm going to close. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 9 through 11 says, Make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. So if you take that one line at a time and really ponder its meaning, it sounds like the revelation of the mystery of redemption is being revealed through the church to principalities and powers in heavenly places. And that could mean righteous angels, and it could mean evil angels. And it could mean that they're both watching the plan of redemption emerge in us. Very amazing scriptures. Finally, how powerful are angels? And I'll end with this. One angel conquered the entire Assyrian army in Isaiah 37. One angel conquered an entire army, 185,000 men. How powerful is that? One angel roll the stone away from Jesus' tomb. One angel will ultimately bind Satan in a bottomless pit, according to Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. So if God sends angels into your life to help you and to rescue you, if one angel was sufficient to accomplish those three things, just one angel in your life can bring total victory. And we know that your angel has a charge. God said, I charge you to bear them up in your hands, lest they dash their foot against the stone. I hope this has answered some questions, and we may pursue this subject further in future episodes. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light, and thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shree's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.